0: everyone and welcome to another episode of the today's the day changemakers podcast i'm Jody grinwald this week my guest is hg chassell ceo and founder of advanced energy group aeg works with multiple city governments utilities regulators two national energy labs and over 50 organizations to overcome critical obstacles preventing systematic change on energy and equity that affects over 75 million people To learn more about aeg go to goadvancedenergygroup.com during this interview we chat about many topics including why hg goes by his initials losing his mom at an early age and hg's overall career trajectory we also discuss how valuable it is to check in with yourself on your level of being at stake for something whatever that goal is that you have out there that may seem challenging HG says that it's important to nourish your motivating why so that it keeps you from walking away. In some cases, walking away could be irresponsible of you if you didn't deliver on that new reality. Please subscribe to the Today's the Day Changemakers YouTube channel. Download the podcast from most streaming sites. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Today is the Day Live It. Also, to learn more about Today is the Day's overall programming, international annual forum, the upcoming Changemakers Connective, business coaching and consulting, go to todayisthedayliveit.com. The views expressed by all Today is the Day Changemakers podcast guests are their own. Their appearance on the Today is the Day Changemakers podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Thank you and have a fabulous week, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's The Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grinwald. And as I say every single week, I get to interview the incredible change makers, inspirers, and those who are just disrupting the status quo in the best way possible. And today with me I have HG Chiselle. How how are you, HG?
1: I'm feeling good. Great to hear your introduction of what you do. I'm in the right place at the right time. <laughs>
0: You absolutely are. You, you totally are a change maker. And I'm, I'm just so happy to have you on today. And I'm going to do what I always do. I read from uh, your bios and then we'll get into a conversation. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. HG Chiselle is the founder and CEO of Advanced Energy Group, a competitive stakeholder mobilization platform for leaders and organizations committed to systematic change on climate, health, and equity at the city and regional level. Serving 50-plus million people and sponsored by over 50 companies, utilities, and organizations, AEG supports public and private leaders from the Caribbean, the Mayor's Office of Boston, Cambridge, Chicago, New York City, and Washington, Washington, D.C., who understand that systematic change is not possible without effective, inclusive collaboration. HG has designed and led over 100 stakeholder challenges Mm -hmm. with 5,000-plus leaders and 500-plus speakers across the U.S., including Hawaii and Puerto Rico. And in 2021, HG received the President's Award for Excellence in Leadership from the National Society of Black Engineers Boston Professionals. Previously, HG developed the leadership from manager to senior VP for Veridity Energy, did I say that correctly? Good. Correct. Veridity Energy, a software service firm focused on demand supply energy optimization, and currently HD serves as a board member for the New England Clean Energy Council and leadership council member for the American Association for Climate Change um officers and you graduated from swathmore college studied architecture at drexel university and lived abroad in germany and belgium that sounds exciting and there's so much more i can go on and on here but i'm going to stop here so that we can
1: Perfect. we can uh
0: ha- have a conversation about all this incredible work that you're doing how does it feel to hear all the work that you've been doing when it's put back out at at, t- at you
1: Well, I always like to edit as much as possible on a bio. So I was always saying, okay, maybe that can come out. out. But uh, yeah, that's the work.
0: That is the work. And it it sounds like incredible work. But before we get to the work, I want to learn more about HG, the person. And so tell us a little bit about where, where you're originally from.
1: I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and went from Baltimore to... Philadelphia area for college um, at Swarthmore College, which is just right outside Philadelphia. But in between my senior year of high school, I was an exchange student in Belgium in a French little town outside of a French city called, uh, in Belgium called Liege. And then I took my first year off from college and went to study with a University of Maryland program outside Stuttgart. So woven a little bit of, um, living abroad into the transition to college.
0: Do you speak French?
1: I do speak French. Yeah. There was a uh, very few people in the village I was in that spoke English. So if I was going to communicate with anyone or have, you know, any semblance of a functioning time there, I really had to jump in on the, the French, but luckily the beer is strong. And, uh, <laughs> that helped, I think, at some point, just get let it sink into my head
0: oh thats that's so funny that that's great. it sounds very exciting. that's wonderful. So growing up, um did you were you more of an outgoing child or more of a shire child? who was h g back then?
1: Um well, oh my gosh, it was I had a unique vantage point on kind of. I would say family dynamics. Um, my mother passed away when I was four and my father remarried and I was then the oldest with two sisters and a brother from my dad's second marriage who really, that one really has become my mother. Um, and so that gave me, I think, some interesting perspectives on a couple of converging things. I mean, my original mother, she was black and then my father remarried and she's white. So seeing mixed family dynamics, seeing the whole narrative on race come through in in the family and you know, watching that as I grew up and I went to public school in Baltimore, but then also went to a private all boys school in Baltimore too, and uh, just seeing different environments. I think was helpful to me. And I always had a, a sense of wanting to have my uh, independence. So was always working or uh, doing something in the field of moving and, and whether it was a lifeguard or dog groomer or a f- framer, I was always having a job and uh, moving around a lot on Baltimore on my bike. I, I I went pretty much everywhere on my bike in Baltimore. <laughs> which was great. I, I you know, I, everybody talks about the wire, which I honestly haven't seen, but I feel like I've seen plenty of Baltimore from my bike and I know certain areas. Yes. You pedal faster. in other areas you pedal slower because Baltimore has got some beautiful places to it.
0: So. It's true. I've been to the inner Harbor of Baltimore. Very, very beautiful in that space right there. So absolutely. And, and so it's interesting. So you said dog groomer, I wouldn't have expected that in the <laughs> list of things that <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I was thinking about this story recently. It was with a group, a delegation trip. I had an opportunity to take to Norway and Sweden on electric vehicles. At one point, we were at a cafe. It's right now not getting dark in Norway. So our delegation were really struggling with the time change a little bit. It would be 10 p.m. at night, and it looks like it's 5 p.m. outside. So lots of time for us to talk and catch up. And at one point the conversation went to, well, what did you do growing up in terms of jobs? People were saying, I was a waiter. I did this. I bust tables. I was in the kitchen or anything. And I said, dog groomer. And everyone was like, Oh, well, that sounds fancy. And I realized I should kind of recalibrate the statement. I I washed the dogs that were groomed. So I was the dog washer. So that's probably more accurate. I, I washed about 14 dogs on a Saturday and uh all different types of dogs and we had a couple dogs that would go to this dog groomer so it was just a great experience at one point i could see a dog on the street and pretty much tell you what breed it was if it was a mutt what were the different you know strains to the dog so
0: isn't it incredible that, you know, you, you go through all of those jobs, but yet you're always left with something from them, right? So, I mean, obviously that's not what you're doing now, but I'm sure you could find something that you learned from washing those dogs that you use today just in a very different way. You know, like you just said, I could tell I could tell what dog it was walking across, you know, if walking across, but I bet you there's some sort of something right now, you might not be able to think about it in this moment, but that actually parlays itself into the memorization of the things that you're doing now. I, I don't know what that is, but it's, I, when I've thought about my previous jobs, I've always been able to pick apart what it is that I brought with me to the next one.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really your life's journey is your career and where it takes you and what you take from it. I agree.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So what was your first job, like your first job out of school?
1: So first job out of school, I I went to school and studied psychology and got an opportunity to do a management, was it a, a human resources management and operations associate program at Cigna Insurance Company in Philadelphia. And so I was going through a set of rotations on different aspects of HR and operations. One part of it, which I found really interesting is where I was put into a rotation with high potential leaders, where this group. In Cigna, focused on cultivating pathways to success for identify kind of a top five percent of Cigna, and our mm-hmm. job was to kind of I think work on the matrix or the characteristics to find those high potential leaders, and then once they were identified, determine the best way to support them along their path so that they would stay within Cigna and grow and strengthen their leadership. And that, that was That's one of my, good. think, my f- most interesting assignments. Um, there was one more that now that you bring it up that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cigna would hire students every year and they would have this convening function where they'd bring them all together at this conference center for two days to be together and, and to learn about the company and hear from the C-level, et cetera. And I ended up being on the team that had to put that event together which you're just reminding me of this, but that was probably one of the first times I put my hand in in the mix to create an agenda for a leadership-focused event. Um, and I've been yeah. doing those ever since.
0: Isn't it incredible? What you think about it? Like then you all of a sudden say, wait a minute, that's where I learned how to do that. Or that's where <laughs> that all started.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But that does sound wonderful that they had that program there about the cultivation, the retention planning to keep the, the, the people that need to they wanted to stay to stay and give them the reasons to do so and and have, you know, have people focused on that. So that, that's great that, that you were part of that planning and program. So when you were younger, just to go back for one quick second, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, did you have this grand grand scheme?
1: Well, no, it's funny. There there was a fair amount of, um, so the reason I go by my initials is that um, I'm the fourth and every HG before me has been a doctor. So especially for my father, there was a lot of pressure for him to go and become a doctor. Uh, which, you know, he ultimately do, he went into oh. psychiatry. So he did find his own path in that space, which, which was going off the beaten path a bit at the time to go into psychiatry. Uh, but for I think the takeaway for him was that he wasn't going to try to put me on a prescriptive path of a career. So I didn't, I had a lot of kind of open space mm-hmm. to figure that out. Uh, so I didn't really have a sense of what I wanted to do early. I loved word woodworking, which I think influenced my desire to be an architect, a design-build architect later.
0: Wow, you you definitely and psychology. So you had the the architect to psychology. Yeah, you have the best of both worlds. You can the mind <laughs> and the hands, right? You can do you can work with both. So that's that's incredible.
1: Yeah, it, it's uh, there's a big, I think, intersection there between our mind and our environment and and what can we do to our environment to shape uh, and support our minds, especially our, our most important intentions. And I think that's something as we get more concerned about climate, in a way we have to have a reckoning on our relationship to our environment and understand that that's a dialogue there that we have responsibilities around and can make impact in our lives just by, um, Greater appreciation and things we do in our environment will come back in good ways to us. so that's that's something that's interesting to see come full circle a bit now.
0: And let's talk about AEG because the work you're doing is just incredible. How did that thought process to to start the organization come about and and then we'll get into exactly all the great work you're doing.
1: So it started because um, advanced Energy Group really started uh, at a crossroads in my life where I was making a decision whether or not um, what I was going to do as a next career path. i had come out of doing a lot of large-scale business development in clean energy projects, specifically advanced battery storage projects. It was very innovative work that required helping a, a wide set of stakeholders understand the value of making a true behavior change on an an appreciation of the way we use energy in large facilities. Most people always are concerned about the fact that we use too much energy, which is a problem, but just as much of a problem is the fact that we use too much at the same time. And there's a value to being able to move your consumption out of peak times uh, that has a value on multiple layers in our power system. That the company I worked for, this startup run by this visionary woman, realized could be monetized so that that load flexibility would have a value back to the end user. So that they could use less energy at peak times, use batteries to store that energy, use that energy at that time. For those projects to be successful required this alignment across different sectors, To move forward with this type of project. So that gave me my first appreciation for stakeholder alignment and and how critical that is towards achieving any real major impact in, in terms of systemic issues. And that was pretty much the thing that undermined most of our big projects is that we didn't have the alignment from the stakeholders in terms of understanding, in terms of appreciation of the urgency of what we had to do next. So you could spend months trying to get a project done that would be beneficial to many people, but because you didn't have a pathway for alignment or a a way to consensus on a priority or issue, inertia would often win. So I had that in my mind as a problem. And as mayor started making these commitments, when, you know, Paris, Mm -hmm. Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord and mayor said, no, we have to be in. We have to be in because we're looking at consequences coming that are going to affect the lives, the well being of people who call this city home. Okay. And we have a responsibility to that. So we're going to take a stand and pledge to have this change by this date. And so you started to see these really bold promises of decarbonization by X percent by 2040, 2030. And I, I was struck by how courageous. And not really altruistic, those goals were, but having gone through a process of so kind of the experience of knowing how difficult it is to align the right people to actually have results and deliver on those promises, I was concerned, but I also was uh, motivated to try to tackle that issue and help these cities um, deliver on the promises they were making.
0: So you, you took a leadership role to bring those people together. Right.
1: Absolutely. Um, Between working for the energy firm, and uh, so I was in healthcare architecture, had an opportunity to go to a seminar and hear a, a seminar leader speak on leadership, and ultimately had an opportunity to go work for that firm that provided the seminar focused on leadership development and very high potential employees of global companies. And I did that for two years. And in the process, you have to go through what are called these distinction trainings, understanding unique distinctions to high potential, high performance leadership. And until you could master the ability to communicate those distinctions to clients, you weren't allowed to work with a client on your own. You always had to be at which meant you couldn't travel. And I really was motivated to go and travel and engage and be one of those consultants flying around the world and doing this work. So I was really invested in learning those distinctions, um, which now have served me well. Like one of them is this idea of taking a stand where you commit to a new reality that you don't know how to make happen, but you know you have to commit to it. Um, And when the mayors did this, I was like, all right, they've taken this massive step. Now this is all gonna be about leadership from here on out to deliver. And I didn't see any real environment that was conducive for the level of leadership necessary to deliver the win. And at the time I was like, I don't know how, I didn't really have a clear path. I just knew that that was a need that I would find enriching and rewarding to try to solve with others. And I got an initial group of sponsors in Chicago that said, well, we'll pay for the coffee. Let's see what this looks like. We'll give you a room. Then a law firm said, have use our space. Um, and in the beginning, the whole point was we need a diversity of perspectives in a room if we're going to lead a conversation that affects everyone in a system. And that's often what doesn't happen. So it's not right. inclusive collaboration. It's really speaking from a silo or a position that you're just trying to get others aligned to your position versus to a path that could get something done. So. The other major commitment I made at the beginning of Advanced Energy Group in 2016 was to commit to quarterly sessions. So we've been doing quarterly stakeholder challenges starting in Chicago, I think since September 2014. And the quarterly commitment has been huge because as I added more cities, I still kept the quarterly commitment, which changed the whole dynamic to being one of a growing conversation versus an event or a workshop. We were going to get back into a conversation we started 90 days ago. We had a framework now to hold ourselves accountable for delivering progress or tangible results over the next 90 days we weren't together. Uh, And that really formed, I, I would say, the framework also for the accelerated learning that myself and my staff has been able to go through doing these 16, 18, 20 of these a year across four cities and now Puerto Rico, it's a great learning curve to figure out, okay, this is what works. This is why this is important in terms of stakeholder engagement, or that doesn't work, forget doing that, let's focus here. Uh, So that's been the journey.
0: I just want to go back because I think it was it, an important learning right here that the listeners can can learn from you is so you had this this concept, this idea, this, this and you wound up getting sponsors, right? They're gonna sponsor the space, they're gonna sponsor the coffee. Mm-hmm. You had this this thought process in your mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, to bring stakeholders together. And at first it was this one-time meeting where you had those sponsors with the room and the coffee and all of that. Am I am I right so far?
1: Yes, when I when I decided to do the first one, I went into it committed to doing it quarterly. You
0: did okay, um,
1: which is something I would share with any leader on the cusp or committed to doing something that would be considered a breakthrough um, path. Understand your follow up commitment right when you start, because um, knowing that I wasn't just doing an event, but I was committing to a, a conversation. In Chicago that would happen in every 90 days until we could show how we made progress that that really changed a lot for me having done it that way
0: in a minute I want to talk about like who you brought together because I want to, I want to be more specific with our listeners but I want to go back to uh, what you're saying about bringing people together and having a concept there's a lot of people out there that have these ideas that they are excited about but they get nervous right and it holds them back from taking that leadership role and bringing people together. Because there's a fear around that. What what do you say to those who have ideas like yourself? You know, some people will say, well, I don't, I don't have it in me. I don't have, I don't have the same thing as HG to, to do it. I have this idea, but I, I don't even know where to begin. Do you have any advice for those people?
1: Well, it's it's always valuable to do a check on your level of being at stake at some for something. And if your level of being at stake for something isn't where it needs to be to make you go through difficult situations, um, you're so at stake for something that you're going to do it despite your fear of public speaking, despite not seeing where all the money's coming to be there for you. Uh, But you're so at stake for a new future, a new reality, because you have a motivating why. That you can't walk away from because it would be almost irresponsible if you were, because you know how important delivering that new reality is for people. Um, it's just really touching into that at stakeness that it's always worth nourishing inside of someone who wants to go down a path that doesn't exist. You have to, you have to really uh, nourish your why. Because well, it will oh be God. your North Star. When you take that path and there is no path and it's dark and you can't really tell exactly where you're going, but you believe in this because you have your why and that's your North star. That's, that's so important. I would say yeah. is um, how to get through that inertia and keep moving.
0: I do this whole thing about when your why is greater than your how anything is possible. And and I love that you said that about the why, because it's, it's so true. Did you have moments along the journey uh, of trying to put this together where you you know, thought to yourself that there was a challenge that you had to overcome.
1: Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> absolutely. So first, just the format of our our stakeholder challenges is that um, we typically invite only forty-eight to sixty people in a room, so that we can have around eight tables of six to eight. That's our sweet spot of invited leaders. We're committed to them. Um, coming from all the right different, representing all the right important aspects to that discussion in the room. So we'll get public leaders, private leaders, utilities, regulators, and users in the room. And stakeholders by default are passive. So you know, you, we say we're all stakeholders in this new cleaner, healthier future. But that doesn't mean that we're active stakeholders by any means. Likely, we're pretty passive in wanting that. So to get us to action requires this stakeholder outreach and cultivation to get someone along that continuum. Like you can say, I don't know if you are are you a football fan at all?
0: A little bit. I don't know a ton of football.
1: All right. So what's the team that this is an example?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, everybody laughed, but it's the Jets.
1: There you go. But it's the Jets, right? So you're a stakeholder in their success. But now it sounds like you're more of a stakeholder in their success. If you read it in the paper, you might catch something on, but you're not putting on the t-shirt, putting the face paint on, (laughs) right? Getting in the car and getting there early to the game, right? Because you've got season tickets. No, but those are all like the levels of stakeholderness that exist to the point that you're actually on the field. Like that is still the same stakeholder in the success of the Jets. It's just at the other end of the spectrum where you're actually the player on the field committed to that vision of them being successful. And I think what this journey has taught me is enabling and supporting and inspiring people to come up on that continuum of stakeholder engagement uh, is, is hard work, but it's good work. And it's very gratifying work because it feels great to be at stake for something, knowing that we only have a limited amount of time here and we don't know when it ends. So to be doing something that's meaningful is so valuable Uh, and feeling at stake for something that's worth it matters too. So that's what I've learned is challenging. I mean, I was doing, if I run a program, say for instance, uh, the second quarter we cover buildings and construction so if i'm doing that in boston washington dc chicago and new york city well that's about 240 leaders that i need to go who have mm-hmm. all other things going on for them because they're busy and successful and et cetera, and encourage them to get more at stake for this discussion and be in a room uh, and contribute so that takes a fair amount of stamina confidence and willingness just to stay in there and be tenacious so that you do it enough that people now don't need to be asked to come back. They're asking you, when's the next meeting? I want to make sure I'm there or let me sponsor you because this is so important and I'm going to get five of my other executives to the event in Chicago and then we'll get the ones in New York. That's what I've learned most is stakeholder engagement cultivation is work. But it's great work.
0: It is great work, and I, and you're speaking in my language because very different and unique to what you do. But that happened here with this uh, podcast, and then moving into the international forum, people who were just wanted, who are change makers, who want to share, like you are today, the incredible work they're doing for people to see. Not, not by ego. It's not about ego. It's about making a difference in the world. And then those people who are so busy seem to find the time to be a speaker at at my events and and on this podcast and and what have you. So it's very interesting, you know, and I don't use a lot the word stakeholder because I always think of it more in the sense of financial stakeholder as Mm. opposed to there's way more to that word. And so, you know, thank you for, for sharing that. Hamten 10 is a leader in IT enterprise solutions and staffing. They are driven to transform their clients' business performances. They do this every day by providing the clients with the best services and products. Products like BizLego, an online community platform, and Coleer, a unique learning management system. They also transform the lives of women and children through their associated nonprofits, SheTech, which supports women in and joining the technology field and Softkin support organization for kids in need pam10 technology for social good go to pam10.com for more information let's talk a little bit about you say you bring everybody together but when we when we had a pre chat, I, I loved your concept of the, the quarterly meetings, but what, what they're doing during these meetings is so important. So I want the listeners to understand a little bit more about what is happening internally at these meetings.
1: Sure. And so you know, part of this journey was to figure out how, how could stakeholder engagement be redefined. Um, and what I've learned along the way with these quarterly sessions is that you need to make it competitive. You need to bring someone into the present moment. So they're fully there, especially now when everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket and a calendar with all kinds of things on there that they probably should not have said yes to. Um, you know. But competition brings us awake. So what we run is a three-part quarterly stakeholder challenge. And I encourage anyone listening to try this format out in any area that needs uh, a disruption, a, a positive move forward, alignment and see if it works for you. So the way it works is you first part one is the speaker challenge. I invite four speakers that have eight minutes and five slides to articulate a critical obstacle related to the topic that requires collaboration uh, to overcome with some type of tangible impact in 12 months. So every speaker that comes to Present whether we're talking grid modernization or mobility and transportation, et cetera, they have to end their presentation saying regarding mobility and transportation, in order for New York to achieve its carbon health and equity goals, a critical obstacle we must overcome in the next 12 months is, and they have to fill in the blank. So after every speaker presents that to the audience, the audience then gets to see all four obstacle statements and now they have to prioritize them based on what they heard. How critical is this issue? Does it really need to be solved in the next 12 months? Does it really need collaboration or could that company just do it alone? They have to think that through and then ultimately they vote to determine which speaker really captured the essence of the moment with a critical obstacle that needs collaboration. Once we've identified and agreed on the obstacle, Now at those round tables of six to eight that are purposely split up, so you've got public and private leaders all at the same table, they have 45 minutes to develop a 12-month solution with quarterly milestones that would actually overcome that obstacle in 12 months. And the table has to pitch it to the audience and the audience votes on which table was able to define and create a pathway in 12 months that they feel would have the greatest likelihood of overcoming the obstacle and having impact. So there's another round of voting. So the purpose here is that it's a 360 dialogue. If you're gonna go into any stakeholder engagement space, do not go in classroom style. That's not gonna help you with stakeholder engagement it's gotta be 360 dialogue. Cause the more I'm giving my input, the more I'm elevating my level of stakeholder engagement. So they vote on the obstacle. Then they work together to come up with proposed solutions at the table. Then they vote to say who has the best solution. And then finally I say, okay, we've got a problem now that we agree we're aligned on needs to be fixed now. We have an approach with milestones to chart our progress that we believe would overcome that issue. My last question for you then is who's willing to raise their hand and hold themselves accountable as a team to actually deliver that 12-month solution as judged by your peers? Because next quarter we're back together and you're going to have to say as a task force whether or not you got that milestone one accomplished. Um, did you get milestone two and then every quarter until they make it through the whole year? So that's the process speaker challenge, um, breakout challenge, and then task force challenge. Who's willing to raise their hand and start, stand up a volunteer task force and go get it done.
0: And how's it going at the end? What, you know, how, how many years have you been doing this now?
1: Uh, I've been doing it. This is my sixth year doing it. Um, and that, that format developed over the time because people, I could do an educational session on these issues, but then people say, where's the follow-up like, all right, well, we're going to be together next quarter. I know, but what are the to do's, um, Mm -hmm. change makers want to be feeling like they're making change uh, and they want to feel like they're getting better and better at it, uh, which is what successful leaders really do often so creating a framework where they can hone their skills to get better as almost like a professional athlete would at driving change is very attractive to leaders
0: who who when you say leaders so we can define that word a little bit who who's sitting at that table would you say uh, title wise uh
1: Speakers are often at the C-level, vice president level, um, senior leadership within the mayor's office or commissioner, if it's a regulator of a utility. Uh, So often the speakers come from those positions. Um, In the room are often the director level through vice president C-level as well in the room. Um, Some managers also, and, you know, sometimes it's the executive director of a community nonprofit that's essential to the discussion who's in the room talking about the work that they do or planning agencies that support city governments and state governments are there. We have a, a few that are sponsors or support us in what we do. So it's a, it's a really, I feel like I'm a museum curator in a way of cultivating and curating the right diversity of leadership and perspective in a room that when we arrive at alignment on an obstacle, it has weight. It means something if you're in a room and it's not a trade organization and you actually all agree that we need to fix this now. That means something just in itself. That in itself is a powerful accomplishment to know that you're not alone and believing this is something we have to do first.
0: There's so much to be said about that connection and that collaboration and that feeling of, being surrounded by like-minded individuals um, and you lift each other up, you become a support system without even realizing it or knowing it. And I'm sure that there's friendships that have been born from the people you've brought into the room for sure. What does this all give to you?
1: It really gives me uh, two things. Uh, It gives me an opportunity to understand these issues in my preferred mode of learning, which is, I guess you could say Socratic dialogue, but I like to learn through discussion and doing. And by creating this format for both speakers and participants to engage and lead and discuss problems and solutions and facilitating that dialogue four times a year in four cities, I get to see patterns, which that that excites me because then I can almost validate Uh, what i see is being true because if it's said in chicago dc and boston the same issue uh, then i have confidence that yeah this really is something worth prioritizing because i can look to my different data sets and see that they're all are seeing the same thing that's exciting Uh, and it gives me a platform to engage with people that i feel is constructive like if I'll ask people often jody look in your hand raise your hand and say how urgent is this issue of climate health inequity five being extremely urgent and people raise their hands the average score is what would you say
0: four yeah it's four
1: five. It's, it's in between it it skews like to a 4.7 um a lot of fives then i ask okay how on your other hand how Um, how happy are you with the level of progress and action towards delivering on this issue? And the score there is never more than a two. Yeah. Right. So you got a two on one hand in terms of feeling like things are moving. And then on the other hand, you've got a five, meaning it's completely, or the house is burning and you're frustrated that you're still sitting on the couch because you're a two. You're not even packing up. Uh, That's a frustrating feeling, not to feel like you have more ownership of or agency. This format goes at those three points constantly because you've got task forces set up that are holding each other accountable to do things. Um, In the last 12 months, we've had 26 task forces stood up. Uh, They have over 364 members right now, leaders on task forces on those 26 task forces, 32 milestones have already been quarterly milestones have been accomplished and seven have gone all the way through to 12 month solutions. Wow. kind It's incredible. that, that I like a lot. Cause I get to, I, I probably get involved with too many task forces, but I love it. You know, it's, I love the time uh, challenge to it. We only have 12 months. We have to present what we do in front of our peers. Uh, it's a mixed group of peers. So it's not just, my silo mirroring. It's not a mirror at all. Um, So that I really enjoy about this a lot.
0: it's, 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 It's such an amazing concept. And you're so right. Because if you do those one day type of events, you're speaking at people, they go, yes, yes, I need that. Yes, I want that. Yes, we need to do that. And then they go on to the next thing. Because there's no accountability afterwards. They don't have to meet with anybody. And they know it's top of mind. But we can't fix it alone. So we're off and running to the next issue or whatever the fire is, as opposed to putting together something that has continuity and accountability and pro- really provides the opportunity to network, for lack of a better word, um, with with your peers and then create solutions together, which just is is just a wonderful thing. And I, I advocate for that and love and love the, the concept and the work you're doing. Um, I just wanna touch on really quick, you're doing work outside of the United States. You even just talked about the fact that you were away recently. Did you say you were in Norway and Sweden?
1: Yes, I got to work with the consulate, um, uh, Norwegian Consulate in New York and Innovation Norway and Business Sweden. Um, They're really, they were interested in our work because every fourth quarter we cover mobility and transportation across our four cities. So that means year over year, we start to create this alumni of uh, leaders who have come and and delivered obstacle statements, have participated on task forces. And so sometimes these countries will want to create a better engagement or bridge of communication between their leaders on these issues and leaders in the US on the issues. And I'm able to provide a great list uh, for them to select who they would like to go and visit and be on a delegation trip. So I put together a list. Uh, they supported the list I put together, and then 14 of us went to Stockholm and then Oslo and got to see electric ferries, electric buses, uh, automated electric ferries. It was amazing. Um, great trip. So I, I'll do those delegation trips occasionally. Uh, we also do work um, in Puerto Rico. We just started doing this approach to stakeholder engagement in Puerto Rico last well, this in February with a thought summit that went well. It it sparked three task forces with over 35 leaders on it with an overarching goal to do the AEG Puerto Rico Energy Week, which we'll do next year, covering things like workforce development, um, technical understanding of issues between the regulator, utility, and private sector. Um, So we're working on that. Wonderful,
0: wonderful work. Well, I, I don't know if you have time for outside interests because it sounds like you're very busy, but what are some of the other things that you're very interested in and involved in?
1: Oh, uh, gosh, let's see. Um, well, it's been just for, I really enjoy tennis. Uh, so I've been playing a lot as a, a counterbalance to the travel. And it's something I can do with my family, which we enjoy. We, all The four of us play tennis. Oh my which is fun. Uh, It's a great just way for us to be together. And because of our growing interest in learning to play the game, it's been a lot of fun watching tennis on television and appreciating the mental toughness involved with the game. Uh, So that's been a thing I've enjoyed a lot. And I've also worked recently on a new initiative. It's part work, but it speaks to me as working with Novartis and Morehouse School of Medicine Mm -hmm on the intersection, this very harmful, even fatal intersection of climate, health and equity and, mm-hmm. and how little we really can speak to that convergence. Uh, we know that we need to do things on climate. And then over here on the, on the other hand, almost, we talk about health mm-hmm. the health implications of climate, pollution, water pollution, air pollution, extreme weather, how that affects the stressors but I don't think they've been converged properly to activate our true sense of urgency. This is, and I might've shared this with you and I still, it's, it's fundamental to my why is that I can't sit and watch uh, the world, basically, whether it's in soccer, football, or other professional sports, take first seat as being the most engaged stakeholder thing we do. For recreation while so many human lives are at risk because we can't better work together as a team if if we could just hold ourselves to an ounce of the level of commitment that professional sports teams do to deliver a win on something that's for recreation if we could deliver that towards these things which really matter we'd be so much further ahead Uh, and we're not and the problem is that's not going to change unless we can get to a base as big as you'd find for the NFL on this issue.
0: That is such a great point, right? Because we come together in bars and in places and and as a community, right? Yeah. And, and we want to. It's it's we 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 make it a priority to do those kinds of things. Totally. And then all the other things that you talk about, we, we turn a blind eye, right? We don't see it. We, we, we put our blinders on. We don't see it at all. And and we don't come together to have those conversations because I also think, and I could be wrong on this, it's a personal opinion, that I think that a lot of times people don't think individually that they have the power to help, uh, help make that change, but they do have the power to go root on their favorite team. The problem is, is every, you know, one of the things through change makers is, is letting people know and giving them the permission that every single person is an everyday change maker. It's the choice. And so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I see, you know, you're, you're shaking your head. So I know that you're somewhat in agreement with that.
1: I am. I just left this conference in New York city, uh, which was about regional Northeast grid infrastructure planning. Uh, you know the power grid is going to need to operate without burning things. The problem. The good thing about burning things is you know when you're burning them, so you have a lot of control on the creation of your energy because you're the one burning whatever you need to get it. But when we go to renewables, so if it, it might not be sunny that day or it might be cloudy, so to make this transition to this new power infrastructure is a massive feat, just as powerful as getting people to wear a mask during covid it's going to require that level of support to have the alignment necessary to to change everything that we are used to how are we going to how are we going to inspire that base of people to be on board with these changes which will have some discomforts your electric bill will likely go up to to afford the investment necessary to save the human lives at stake if we don't but how are you going to feel like that's worth it Just like, why should I wear a mask? It's the same conversation. And look how much energy had to go into getting us over those milestones of people actually wearing a mask. Um, It was for our our safety and health that we needed to do it. It's the same thing on these issues of climate. Uh, So that's a real challenge, uh, is inspiring it to that level and breadth within communities and populations that this is important. Um, that's going to take some leadership mastery.
0: Yeah definitely mastery. I totally agree with you and I know that you know you, you, you gave it a great metaphor in the way of talking about the masks. I mean that in that, comparing it to that it's it's that was a huge undertaking. but again, if we go back there's no we have no issue of getting people into go rooting on their own team. So we we don't always have the perspective you know that we we may need and sometimes we just need to hear something from someone like yourself. Who then puts things into perspective um, for us as well? So I appreciate the the you know what all that you've taught us today. Thank you oh. so much. I could talk to you for hours. So I, I appreciate you.
1: <laughs> oh, likewise, Jody. Well, I always say, um, if we can do this much um, for winning on a recreational level, imagine the reward it will come when we start winning at what matters what, most. If we start feeling like we're winning at what matters most, it's a tremendous feeling. And you're, it's even worth losing many times just to have that feeling. Most 12-month task forces are not successful. I only had seven that actually were able to deliver a 12-month solution as voted by their peers per what they promised. Right? Only seven. But the ones that did or did not deliver, I guarantee you, most of them are willing to try again because now they feel like they're in a game worth winning at. Uh, And that's, to me, there's magic there uh, and finding a way to unpack it. And that's why I look at, think the organizations like NFL, et cetera, because they've tapped into it for recreation and now we need to tap into it for real positive global transformation.
0: And I bet you the ones that didn't make it to the end to, to get to accomplish what they set out to do, there were wins, I'm sure, along the way. They just didn't get to the final, final yeah. piece of the big win.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they're there. They're, it's like if you get invited to the dinner party, are you the person who likes to stay in the living room, standing in the living room, or are you the person who goes to the kitchen and says, all right, how can I help? And, and as you're doing that and helping, you're you're forging even stronger bonds than the person in the living room who really doesn't have any basis for the communication or relationship building, because it's, it doesn't have a task underneath it. Like something, we got to get these cookies out there. We got to get the check on the crackers. You're like, I got it. And then all of a sudden you build that teamwork.
0: Right. And that's what it's, that is what it's all about. And connecting is at the core of who we are as humans to begin with, and we need those connections. That's why we do it for the recreational. Now we need to find a way to to do it on the meaningful things, as you said, and I love that. But I wanna ask you um, the last question I ask everybody. And that is, what is the footprint that you're creating right now that you wanna leave behind?
1: It has to be a redefinition of stakeholder engagement. Stakeholder engagement for what we need to do is completely broken. It will not. That vehicle we have today of closed-door sessions, leaving comments in obscure places that the normal population never knows when comments are due on these issues that affect them on legislative hearings or things related to transmission lines. That stakeholder engagement process is fundamentally broken. just incompetent of delivering what we need. So for me, if I spend the next however years I have perfecting a new approach uh, that feels like winning and has high stakes, like you'd fill an arena to go, I can get you know five inches closer to that vision To me, I think that, and and that that can be turned around and others can use it as a tool. I I encourage anyone to use this three-part stakeholder challenge approach for anything. Internal team building, systemic issues in a local community. Try it, see what results and outcomes it provides. It will provide alignment, it will provide accountability, and it will get things done. So try it and see if it's a basis you want to use to move forward. Uh, Because that's, if anything, I think, I'm excited to see how well it's working. So I'd like to try to grow it.
0: Yeah. Do you go out and speak about it to other organizations as well?
1: I was recently asked to do it. Uh, I usually am the one being the moderator. So, or the facilitator. So I kind of have one step close to the podium, but I never really stay there too long. But recently I was asked to, to deliver a keynote on stakeholder engagement. And that was fun because it gave me a chance just to share some things I was seeing doing this. Uh, so I, I need to do more of that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I've, I've been touted the, the moderator, but I'm kind of moving into that space of getting closer to, I'm liking the podium, but I think you have so much to share um, and, and you know what's been working and the process is incredible. And not just that, who you've engaged is incredible. That in itself is an art. to get that engagement.
1: It's one of the things I'm most proud of. Honestly, I'm looking here, can't see it, but on my screen, I have a link that shows my 2021 speakers my 2022 speakers. Um, And it's, it's a big list about 80 speakers for the each year. But when I look at it, nearly 50% or greater were women. Uh, Nearly 50% were leaders of color. So that to me is a personal accomplishment uh, because I know how valuable it is to, to be able to be in constructive communication that transcends just the ways we so easily get boxed in categories and labels on people. Uh, it's, that's not conducive for the type of leadership we need right now.
0: No, not at all. We need, we need leaders that represent our our country, right? That the way the way that we're set up, the areas in which we serve, uh, without a doubt. And we and we need to have those voices heard. So, thank you for pulling them together, especially on these topics that are so imperative for our future. You know, it's it, These are very very top of mind uh, topics that we all need to be concerned about and working on doing better. Um, I did. Is there a way people can find you? Website where they can find you.
1: I would go to goadvancedenergy.com. That's our website. And what's nice there is you can see our work by city. You can see, um, you can read some testimonials or experiences from stakeholders that participate in this. So you get their perspective on what is it like to participate or lead a stakeholder challenge. Uh, We also keep our results. So we are creating our leaderboard here. So we're, you know, every quarterly milestone is worth two points. Every 12-month solution win is worth four. So a task force has the opportunity to bring in 10 points for everyone that get involved. And we create a leaderboard. So try to spark that friendly competition among Chicago and New York. So you can see that on the website. You can go to news and see what these task forces have been able to accomplish. It's pretty remarkable, Um they've gotten the attention of cop26 ministers uh office of the vice president um just for, it's been great to see uh-huh
0: thank you so much for sharing with us today i'm so so glad that we met through olga so olga one of my other change maker guests is and that's what's been incredible talking about bringing people together the recommendations to interview different change makers from around the world doing incredible work so hg thank you so much for your time today
1: my pleasure thank you jody
0: thank you. So keep let's keep in touch and hopefully you'll you'll come back on and give us an update on some of the other things that are happening after we get through 2022 you can give us some results in 2023.
1: Absolutely and I want to make sure you have an invite to be in one of these stakeholder challenges. That would be important. Absolutely.
0: I want to come to the New York one. I'm excited that you have one in New York, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, Con Edison is hosting and we need good change makers in the room. Let's go.
0: All right, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you. Um, HG, I'm going to say what I say at the end of every single podcast. Today is the day you cannot go back to yesterday and you do not yet own tomorrow. So what steps small or large are you going to take today to get yourself closer to your goals? Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, HG.
1: Bye. Thank you.